Then he tied one end of that to the back of his belt and gave the other end to his mother. Lower me, he said, and I will look for the ring. Thank you, Stanley, Mrs. Lambchop said. She lowered him between the bars and moved him carefully up and down and from side to side so that he could search the whole floor of the shaft. Two policemen came by and stared at Mrs. Lambchop as she stood holding the long lace that ran down through the grating. She pretended not to notice them. "'What's the matter, lady?' the first policeman asked. "'Is your yo-yo stuck?' "'I am not playing with a yo-yo,' Mrs. Lambchop said sharply. "'My son is at the other end of this lace, if you must know.' "'Get the net, Harry,' said the second policeman. "'We have caught a cuckoo.' Just then, down in the shaft, Stanley cried out, "'Hooray!' Mrs. Lambchop pulled him up and saw that he had the ring. "'Good for you, Stanley,' she said. Then she turned angrily to the policeman. "'A cuckoo, indeed,' she said. "'Shame!' The policeman apologized. "'We didn't get it, lady,' they said. "'We have been hasty. We see that now.' "'People should think twice before making rude remarks,' said Mrs. Lambchop, "'and then not make them at all.' The policeman realized that was a good rule and said they would try to remember it. One day Stanley got a letter from his friend Thomas Anthony Jeffrey, whose family had moved recently to California. A school vacation was about to begin, and Stanley was invited to spend it with the Jeffreys. Oh, boy, Stanley said, I would love to go. Mr. Lambchop sighed. A round-trip train or airplane ticket to California is very expensive, he said. I will have to think of some cheaper way. When Mr. Lambchop came home from the office that evening, he brought with him an enormous brown paper envelope. Now then, Stanley, he said, try this for size. The envelope fit Stanley very well. There was even room left over, Mrs. Lambchop discovered, for an egg salad sandwich made with thin bread and a toothbrush case filled with milk. They had to put a great many stamps on the envelope to pay for both airmail and insurance, but it was still much less expensive than a train or airplane ticket to California. The next day, Mr. and Mrs. Lambchop slid Stanley into his envelope along with the egg salad sandwich and the toothbrush case full of milk and mailed him from the box on the corner. The envelope had to be folded to fit through the slot, but Stanley was a limber boy, and inside the box he straightened right up again. Mrs. Lambchop was nervous because Stanley had never been away from home alone before. She rapped on the box. "'Can you hear me, dear?' she called. "'Are you all right?' Stanley's voice came quite clearly. "'I'm fine. Can I eat my sandwich now?' "'Wait an hour, and try not to get overheated, dear,' Mrs. Lambchop said. Then she and Mr. Lambchop cried out, "'Goodbye, goodbye,' and went home. Stanley had a fine time in California. When the visit was over, the Jeffreys returned him in a beautiful white envelope they had made themselves. It had red and blue markings to show that it was airmail, and Thomas Jeffrey had lettered valuable and fragile and this end up on both sides. Back home, Stanley told his family that he had been handled so carefully he never felt a single bump. Mr. Lambchop said it proved that jet planes were wonderful and so was the Postal Service and that this was a great age in which to live. Stanley thought so, too.
Chapter 3 Stanley the Kite Mr. Lambchop had always liked to take the boys out with him on Sunday afternoons to a museum or roller skating in the park, but it was difficult when they were crossing streets or moving about in crowds. Stanley and Arthur would often be jostled from his side, and Mr. Lambchop worried about speeding taxis or that hurrying people might accidentally knock them down. It was easier after Stanley got flat. Mr. Lambchop discovered that he could roll Stanley up without hurting him at all. He would tie a piece of string around Stanley to keep him from unrolling and make a little loop in the string for himself. It was as simple as carrying a parcel, and he could hold on to Arthur with the other hand. Stanley did not mind being carried because he had never much liked to walk. Arthur didn't like to walk either, but he had to. It made him mad. One Sunday afternoon in the street they met Ralph Jones, an old college friend of Mr. Lambchop's. "'Well, George, I see you have bought some wallpaper,' said Mr. Jones. "'Going to decorate your house, I suppose?' "'Wallpaper?' said Mr. Lambchop. "'Oh, no, this is my son Stanley.' He undid the string, and Stanley unrolled. "'How do you do?' Stanley said. "'Nice to meet you, young feller,' said Mr. Jones. "'George,' he said to Mr. Lambchop, "'that boy is flat.' "'Smart, too,' Mr. Lambchop said. "'Stanley is third from the top in his class at school.' Phooey said Arthur. "'This is my younger son, Arthur,' Mr. Lambchop said, "'and he will apologize for his rudeness.' Arthur could only blush and apologize. Mr. Lambchop rolled Stanley up again, and they set out for home. It rained quite hard while they were on the way. Stanley, of course, hardly got wet at all just around the edges, but Arthur got soaked. Late that night, Mr. and Mrs. Lambchop heard a noise out in the living room. They found Arthur lying on the floor near the bookcase. He had piled a great many volumes of the Encyclopedia Britannica on top of himself. "'Put some more on me,' Arthur said when he saw them. "'Don't just stand there. Help me.' Mr. and Mrs. Lambchop sent him back to bed, but the next morning they spoke to Stanley. "'Arthur can't help being jealous,' they said. "'Be nice to him. You're his big brother, after all.' The next Sunday Stanley and Arthur went to the park by themselves. The day was sunny but windy, too, and many older boys were flying beautiful, enormous kites with long tails made in all the colors of the rainbow. Arthur sighed. Some day, he said, I will have a big kite, and I will win a kite-flying contest and be famous like everyone else. Nobody knows who I am these days. Stanley remembered what his parents had said. He went to a boy whose kite was broken and borrowed a large spool of string. You can fly me, Arthur, he said. Come on. He attached the string to himself and gave Arthur the spool to hold. He ran lightly across the grass, sideways to get up speed, and then he turned to meet the breeze. Up, 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 went Stanley being a kite. He knew just how to manage on the gusts of wind. He faced full into the wind if he wanted to rise and let it take him from behind when he wanted speed. He had only to turn his thin edge to the wind carefully, a little at a time, so that it did not hold him, and then he would slip gracefully down toward the earth again. 
Arthur let out all the string, and Stanley soared high above the trees, a beautiful sight in his red shirt and blue trousers against the pale blue sky. Everyone in the park stood still to watch. Stanley swooped right and then left in long matched swoops. He held his arms by his sides and zoomed at the ground like a rocket and curved up again toward the sun. He side-slipped and circled and made figure eights and crosses and a star. Nobody has ever flown the way Stanley Lambchop flew that day. Probably no one ever will again. After a while, of course, people grew tired of watching, and Arthur got tired of running about with the empty spool. Stanley went right on, though, showing off. Three boys came up to Arthur and invited him to join them for a hot dog and some soda pop. Arthur left the spool wedged in the fork of a tree. He did not notice, while he was eating the hot dog, that the wind was blowing the string and tangling it about the tree. The string got shorter and shorter, but Stanley did not realize how low he was until leaves brushed his feet, and then it was too late. He got stuck in the branches. Fifteen minutes passed before Arthur and the other boys heard his cries and climbed up to set him free. Stanley would not speak to his brother that evening, and at bedtime, even though Arthur had apologized, he was still cross. Alone with Mr. Lambchop in the living room, Mrs. Lambchop sighed and shook her head. "'You're at the office all day having fun,' she said. "'You don't realize what I go through with the boys. They're very difficult.' "'Kids are like that,' Mr. Lambchop said. "'Phases. Be patient, dear.'" Chapter 4 The Museum Thieves Mr. and Mrs. O.J. Dart lived in the apartment above the lamb chops. Mr. Dart was an important man, the director.